everyone. You are listening to the My Modern Met Top Artist Podcast. I'm Jessica Stewart, an art historian and contributing writer for My Modern Met, and I'm thrilled to bring you another in-depth interview with one of today's top creatives. Today I'm speaking with installation artist and sculptor Jason DeCares Taylor. Jason is known for his incredible underwater installations that are not only artistic, but also help marine life in their dual role as artificial reefs. In fact, he actually created the world's first underwater sculpture park and museum off the coast of Granada in 2006. Since then, his work has continued to grow, with installations popping up in the waters off Cancun, the Bahamas, Spain, and the Maldives. Most recently, he even tackled a project in Australia's Great Barrier Reef, where he submerged a huge number of sculptures to create an underwater greenhouse, and worked with local scientific institutes to make a sculpture that helps show the changing temperatures of the water. I was curious to learn more about how Jason transitioned into underwater sculpture, and what type of research goes into these works. We sat down for an eye-opening conversation about his work, why he feels it's important as an artist to get involved in conservation issues, and to learn some of the stories behind these magnificent installations. So let's get started. Jason, we're so happy to have you here with us on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you. No, it's great to be able to join. So we've been big fans of your work for many, many years and covered a lot of your different projects. So we're excited to sort of dive in and get to know more about you. Um, I sort of wanted to actually rewind back and start at the beginning to learn a little bit more about your background. I know that you got your BA in sculpture from the London Institute of Arts. So I'm just curious to as to why sculpture uh, called to you as a practice as opposed to I don't know, etching or painting or anything else that one might do. Um, I, I think uh, I've I've almost always been, you know, fascinated with materials and sort of uh, constructing things. I think even from a young age, I was always building something or other. Uh, so sculpture was just a sort of obvious choice, and I was quite lucky uh, during my degree. I was uh, allowed to sort of uh, try my hand at lots of different uh, types of. Uh, a sculpture technique and uh, all, so, all sorts of ways of producing art. And I just, uh, <clears throat> yeah, drifted into, into mold making. Um, I did a lot of uh, ceramic work, uh, did a lot of uh, concrete casting work. And uh, yeah, I use, uh, employ many of those techniques now. When did you then begin to shift and start thinking about underwater sculpture? I mean, I know that you have a lot of inspiration from land art, from the 1960s and 70s, but the focus specifically on the underwater world is quite intriguing. Yes, um, I likewise when I was when I was doing my degree, I was very much interested in in sculpture and how it changed according to the context it was placed in, um, particularly uh, outdoor sculpture, land art, like you mentioned. And I sort of focused many of my uh, degree pieces on on outdoor installations and and putting that object in in various different uh, scenes and settings. Uh, many of those were urban. Some of them were also coastal or uh, within sort of wildlife areas. And I always thought, oh, it'd be, you know, it'd be wonderful to sort of do something in the sea as well. But then logistically, I kind of realised that you know that was going to be a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare in London. Uh, so I kind of put it put it on a back burner. Mm-hmm. I, I had quite a bit of experience of of the underwater world when I was young because I'd lived in in the Caribbean and and lived in Asia. And I'd done a lot of snorkeling and uh, exploring, you know, tropical reefs. So I kind of did always have this this feeling that it's such a, you know, two thirds of our planet is 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 water. <laughs> you know, oceans are vast, and but 
artistically speaking, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're you know, barely explored. Right. So you have this idea in your head, you have this experience and love for water. When did you then take the leap and start experimenting with creating these underwater sculptures? And what sort of testing did you go through to figure out what would work best underwater? Um, yeah, it was, it was a sort of a slow, gradual process, a kind of evolution of, of, of ideas and, and techniques. And I actually got the opportunity um, quite a few years, actually, after, after I finished my, my studies. And I was actually teaching scuba diving in the Caribbean. And that enabled me to sort of uh, meet the right contacts to get to know some of the, the people I would need to obtain the uh, permits through. And it sort of evolved from there. I, I selected a, a spot on this coastline. And it was interesting because it had been uh, decimated by a hurricane. Mm. And because of that, a lot of the tourism was focused on on adjacent reefs, which was kind of uh, adding extra pressure to them and actually causing uh, quite a lot of uh, negative impact. Sure. And so from that, I thought, you know, maybe if I created something underwater, it would provide an alternative space. It would provide a distraction. And then maybe the the tourists could minimize their impact and and you know concentrate their their activities in one space and that's really how it started and then it was a very sort of steep learning curve underwater sculptures uh, very different materially than than a lot of above uh, above water works um, which are predominantly metals which uh, I, I don't uh, tend to use and each year in each location I, I tend to uh, upgrade my research uh, tend to test out new ideas, um, new fields of study. I think it's interesting you point out the idea of the experimenting with materials because some people might think you're putting sculpture in water, you know, isn't that damaging? Um, and don't really understand perhaps the very scientific research you go through to make sure that these sculptures are a positive environment for marine life and not a negative. Yes, yeah, very much so. I think um, historically, a lot of um, artificial reefs are actually built with uh, materials that people wanted to get rid of, rid of from land. So uh, there's been cases of people, you know, throwing car tires in, uh, subway trams, oh, uh, and obviously shipwrecks. You know, are not naturally meant to be there. And a lot of those materials are, are, don't work in, in creating reefs. You know, they degrade over time. Uh, they 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 can pollute the ocean in in many different ways, and coral reefs also take you know hundreds of years to really get fully established. And so it's really important that the materials can also uh, you know su- su- support that. And so much of the the research that I did in the initial days was finding the material that was suitable. And as as a result, all the works now are, are, are pH neutral. Uh, they're made from inert materials that uh, won't degrade. And they, they take on a very similar property to, to natural rock. Um, and it allows the corals to actually adhere and to, and to build reefs upon. You know, your work really took off in 2006 when you created the world's first underwater sculpture park off the coast of Granada. Since then, you've opened several different underwater museums, including one installed between Cancun and and Mexico with over 500 sculptures, a collection of over 300 sculptures submerged off the coast of Spain. So dialing it back to this first project off of the coast of Granada, what were you hoping to accomplish with that initial project? And how did you, how did working there sort of help lay the groundwork for these even bigger projects that you do in the future? 
Um, I mean, when I first started that off, I, I didn't really have a, a long-term goal. It was actually the first time in my life where I'd actually thought, right, I'm just going to take a year out and I'm going to do something that, that truly interests me and and is it and is purely experimental so i just sort of went in with this you know maybe pretty naively went in and and just started creating and just started uh, building and yeah it was really sort of just a sort of a stepping stone and then afterwards as i started to realize that it was you know it seemed to sort of combine many different things that you know obviously it, it was all about the artwork but then it incorporated uh, conservation um tourism uh, also diving it was a it was a sort of mix of several different things and and from that you know i, I really saw the potential to to talk about uh you know important environmental issues and and also find ways of uh, uh minimizing human impact well that's incredible that this came as an initial sort of personal project in a in a huge risk really i guess to make it happen and it really ended up sort of changing the path of your career and leading you to where you are now yes very much so i mean you know i think instantly as soon as i started placing the first few few works you know i realized that it, it, this was something very unique and, and unexplored and when i started producing some of the images of the works uh, towards the end of the project I started to receive phone calls from other other destinations, and that was a very interesting project because they had a slightly different scenario where they actually had thousands of people going there each summer. I think it was three hundred and fifty thousand people go to Cancun and visit the marine park each year, and that was placing huge stress on the the existing reefs. And so the government were talking about closing down uh, reefs because they found that when they did close them down, they actually started to regenerate and and they were in a much better state state of health. But the tourism operators and all the the local uh, businesses were, you know, distraught that their their reefs are going to be closed down. So they said, you need to, if you're going to do that, you have to suggest an alternative. Uh, and that's where they came across my work, and and we realised that we could build this this underwater museum in a an area of just uh, white sand, and that we could then try to discharge some of those visitors from the natural reefs to this this area where they, they would wouldn't cause any degradation. Incredible, and. Do you feel like that has continued to work in those areas now that they've been up and running for a long time? Um, it's quite it's quite hard to to monitor. There's obviously many many different sure. factors. Um, I think it's definitely discharged people away from from some natural reefs, but then in other ways, it's also encouraged more people to go to those destinations. So it's it's quite hard to see exactly how that that's transpired. But at the same time, I also see the installations now, and the, the one in Mexico. You know, it was a completely barren, uh, you know, stretch of sand. And, you know, I looked at some photos on Instagram yesterday, which tourists have been taking. Mm-hmm. And just literally thousands and thousands of different types of coral, uh, sponges, tunicates, uh, vast, uh, you know, schools of fish living living within the structures. So just to, just to know that that wasn't there, you know, 10 years ago is very satisfying. Well, I think that sort of brings me to the next topic I want to talk about, which is just in general, your love for the environment and the idea of the arts and what it can do to really make a positive impact in our world. So the planet right now is facing huge struggles in terms of the environment, global warming, issues with plastic. You know, you personally, what are some of the biggest issues that concern you as someone who's living here and going through this time when 
we're struggling. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, struggling is to put it lightly. I think <laughs> our existence is under threat at, at, at the moment. Um, you know, our life depends upon the, the health of the oceans. So I, I feel as, as an artist, I actually cannot talk. There's lots of other subjects that, that really trouble me. <laughs> I just feel like I, I cannot orientate my work in any other direction because it's so critical that the health of our planet is so directly related to the health of us that we we have to solve this otherwise the outcome is going to be pretty pretty catastrophic and I, and i think artists have a, a moral obligation you know we're really important for helping to shape people's feelings and emotions and and inspire people and and warn people about what's happening and i think you know scientists are very good at producing the data that that supports it um but i think what's really really important is to be able to to emotionally connect to people to to help inspire social change and i think that's that's where we come in well, i think it's a great point that you bring up because of course there are naysayers that think oh you know the arts have no place here they have no place commenting on these sort of topics and they don't have a real impact on, on conservation or environmental policy your work and the work of others who who might deal with these issues help translate things into a language that the everyday person can really grab onto and then hopefully be motivated to do something more. Yes, I mean, you know, we're all terribly emotional and, and spiritual creatures. I mean, you look at the uh, the place of religion throughout human uh, human history and, and how important it's been for, for shaping people's views and, and, and outlook of the world. Um, and you know facts and figures just do not sway people in in the in the same way even though they're devastatingly important um yeah we we are <laughs> we are the or the artists are very very good at, at being able to change the the outlook and the narrative of something well i think i would think that it must also be satisfying for you as you said to see photographs to see the coral reefs growing to see an actual concrete impact of the the work that you're doing and that must be a great motivator to continue to want to do even more yes definitely and 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 of course art is in, incredibly subjective you know there's lots of opinions on what what's good or bad or right or wrong but it, it it's quite a nice feeling that whatever people's views are at the end of the day it is doing something beneficial and and it is creating life and i think that is 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 uh, helps me sleep at night. Yeah, I bet, I bet. Well, I want to chat a little bit about your newest project that went up in the actual the Australia's Great Barrier Reef. You know, an iconic space where you've created the Museum of Underwater Art, um, and specifically one of your installations, your group of group of sculptures called the Coral Greenhouse has been installed there. I mean, it must have been a dream to be able to work on the Great Barrier Reef. How, how did this project come about and what sort of work went into making it happen? Because I imagine it's not so easy just to place some sculptures in the Great Barrier Reef. It's, it's been uh, quite, a, quite a long road to, to realizing this project. Uh, we started almost uh, four years ago, I think, with the, the initial planning and consultation. And yes, it's, it's been a sort of great uh, dream of mine to be able to work there. I was very fortunate that I used to teach diving when I was uh, quite young there, so I kind of knew a little bit about the the reef and and the ecosystem. Prior to this, this uh, most of my work has been focused on on Caribbean areas and Atlantic sites, and just the Pacific Ocean and and the Great Barrier Reef has you know such you know incredible diversity. You know has 
thousands more species uh, compared with with the Caribbean reef system. Right. And as a result, it has you know incredibly intricate and diverse types of coral that that adhere to structures. So yes, it was it was a really good opportunity, and um, but it's also taken you know a lot of planning, a lot of uh, public consultation, uh, some very very in depth uh, permit applications, and it was yeah it was wonderful to to you know at the end of last year to be able to finally install all the pieces. Well, just to open up the environment a little bit to our listeners because you know we hear a lot about. The Great Barrier Reef is is dead. There's nothing left. What was your experience of actually being there and seeing it in person? Yes, I mean, I I, I worked in a in a in a site, John John Brewer Reef, uh, which was off the coast of Townsville in Queensland. Um, obviously, the the you know the Great Barrier Reef is a, is a very vast structure and and runs right down the the eastern coast of Australia. But my experiences were actually that the the coral in the areas we were working was really really fantastic. You know, some of the best corals I'd ever seen. Um, it was mesmerizingly beautiful. Um, that's not to say that some of the other northern parts of the reef, you know, they have been affected by climate change and there has been, you know, quite a bit of bleaching. But two thirds of the Great Barrier Reef is still in in pristine, you know, spectacular condition. And, you know, that was a, a really sort of motivating you know, factor that uh, I think you, if we hear too much uh, negativity, we sort of have this tendency to sort of give up on things. You know, I was much more sort of interested in how can we, you know, how can we inspire people? How can we get more people interested and, and involved in, in coral conservation? And that was partly, you know, the, the sort of uh, how the idea crystallized for the, for the coral greenhouse. So just to set the scene for people, in this coral greenhouse installation, I mean, we literally have the the formation of a sort of sunken greenhouse with shelving and pottery and scientific instruments and sculptures of young people examining the items that have been there. And all of this is sunk into the ocean. So I know that these sculptures were inspired by the local community. And I know that you were also very purposeful in focusing on youth in your sculptures. Can you share a little bit about why it's so important to get the community involved and also the idea of focusing on that certain younger target? Um, yes. I mean, you know, I'm really sort of interested in trying to create a, a community of, of people who who are, uh, are responsible or who are engaged in their, in their local marine systems, um, almost like kind of reef guardians. They're people who are constantly sort of uh, watching out for its health, you know, learning how to how to conserve it, and so in each each area, I do try to sort of uh, use uh, local models within the works. Uh, I try to use uh, uh, younger people within it as a as a you know a kind of metaphor for how they're helping to to shape their own future and helping to you know foster their own own environment. And so that yeah, that particular inst- uh, installation had you know quite a few uh, young uh, school children from the Townsville area quite a few uh, young uh, indigenous children and yeah it was a, it was a sort of aiming to get them to to start to study it was it wasn't just a sort of uh, you know a a kind of a terrestrial greenhouse you know it was is also meant meant to be a kind of a hub for science and the idea is that we actually start to uh, propagate and and plant lots of different types of coral uh, but we also use it as a kind of underwater um, science labora- laboratory. So there will be different types of uh, 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 instruments that measure salinity or, or measure pH. 
and and we'll also have an underwater webcam that is uh, making analysis on certain areas of the, of the greenhouse. Wonderful. And the entire area is marked by a figure that rises up from the sea. So this is an interactive sculpture. It's a silhouette of a local girl, uh, Dakota Johnson. Her family were the area's traditional landowners. Can you share a little bit about how the interactive sculpture works and why it was important for you to have this marker? Yes, I mean, I think, you know, that particular piece was was all about communication and it was about trying to take what's actually happening underwater uh, and bringing that into an urban environment, bringing that into a place where, you know, people will see it um, daily. Right, because the colours on her body change according to the water temperatures. That's correct, yes. So uh, it's actually connected to a weather station that's positioned out on on Davies Reef, which is another uh, part of the Great Barrier Reef. And it's continuously feeding live information back to the statue uh, about the water temperature of that site. And so the statue actually changes. It's it's a bit like a a sort of heat map of a body and Mm -hmm. runs through a sort of rainbow of different colours from uh, obviously red and orange and yellow being warmer, warmer colours. Uh, down to the you know blues and purples being you know a cooler outlook and so obviously when when the reef is threatened by prolonged uh, exposure to to high temperatures then the sculpture will glow red and there'll be an indication that there there is a threat of uh, coral bleaching and so there's that kind of almost like a sense of urgency or a sense of being you know uh, revealing what's hidden and out of sight um, and putting it into something that is visually arresting for the local community. Yeah, I think that feeds back into what you mentioned previously of taking the science and feeding it to the public in a way that is more, I don't want to say digestible, but maybe more legible. And I know that the sculpture, you worked in close collaboration, obviously it's fed by scientific data, but with your with scientists from the James Cook University and the Australian Institute of Marine Science. So you know, these collaborations, how are they vital to the work that you're doing as an artist? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, inter- it's terribly important. You know, we have to find ways to, to combine resources to, to tackle the, these, these, these huge problems. And it, it's, they're all symbiotic relationships. You know, we, we need the science as much as they need, you know, other people to, to help communicate the science. And so, yeah, I think that's the the future is, you know, greater collaboration between these different industries. So I know that this is just the first step in the museum and there's more work to be done. Obviously, things got a little interrupted as they have with the rest of the world due to COVID-19. But tell us what the next steps are for the museum and also how would people go and see it if they wanted to go and visit themselves? And so, yeah, I'm currently working on the, on the next steps at the moment, uh, albeit in, in the UK. Uh, I'm still working on uh, large parts of the planning and the construction of the sculptures. We're actually looking at doing uh, a couple more sites. So one on, on an island called Palm Island, uh, an indigenous island out there. And so we're looking at doing a, a series of uh, intertidal sculptures and also a series of snorkel trails around, around the island, uh, which are obviously extremely accessible for everybody. And we're also looking at doing some further works uh, celebrating the the rich uh, history of marine science in the area on uh, Magnetic Island. And so that's also likely to be a series of uh, intertidal works. Great. And so if people want to go and experience your underwater parks for themselves, uh, they're able to do that, no, by diving. 
Yes, I mean each one is 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 very different in in geography and uh, and local conditions. Uh, the the works in in Australia, for example, there's there's going to be a variety of sites. Uh, the Ocean Siren sculpture is open to everybody. It's just along the main the main uh, uh, beach walk. Uh, the other uh, coral greenhouse is actually out on the out on the Great Barrier Reef, so that requires a, a boat trip of around uh, an hour and a half. And and it's probably better suited to diving because it's a deeper deeper water site. Um, but you know I've done many different installations. Some of them are accessible via glass bottom boats. Uh, many of them are you, you're able just to to swim off the off the beach and and snorkel around them. So yeah, I've even done one in in Oslo, which you can walk on ice wow. in the winter and cut a hole in the ice. Um, uh, Jump in the in, in in the hole and and actually dive underneath the ice and explore wow. the sculptures that way. So for the adventurous, for sure, <laughs> that's incredible. Yes, yeah, that's a slightly higher level of diving, but <laughs> it, it's it's a it's a beautiful world underneath the ice sheet. I can imagine. So where do you see this going in the future? I mean, do you see continuing with the world underwater? Are there other ways that you'd like to push the work? You know, what's next for you? in the future? Um, I have many different plans that I'm sort of uh, formulating and, and, and looking into, you know, we, we did a analysis of, you know, just uh, of the Mexican Marine Park, which, you know, which I made almost like a, a six or 700 sculptures for. And when we did a calculation, we, you know, it was zero, 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 zero point one percent of the seabed. And that was just in that, in that one small Marine Park. So, the canvas is is pretty large, um, and mm. there's a hell of a lot of places to to explore. Um, saying that, you know, I'm currently working on some projects in the Mediterranean, which is quite interesting. Uh, slightly different uh, format of works. We're trying to build a, an underwater forest, and so I'm looking at, at ways of trying to sort of uh, rewild our oceans, trying to sort of um, increase the biomass on on a, on a really large scale, and tried to work through different parts of the water column so it's not just about the the creatures that, that live on the bottom substrate and the and the reefs that form but also about quite a lot of the species that that live mid-water or, or just under the surface and by doing uh, tree-like formations we were able to to sort of cover all those different areas and i quite like the idea of creating these you know underwater rainforests mm. and i and i really enjoy working in different in, in environments you know i'm also quite keen to do something um, in Antarctica, which is another ecosystem that's that's you know rapidly changing and, and rapidly under threat. Right. And I think also I'm maybe changing the sort of narrative of the work slightly. You know, I find that they um, sometimes it's not just about the the scale or the ambition of the piece. You know, quite often just um, a, a really clear focused message can can actually provide a, a really stark warning or really really helps to to sort of um, engage engage people sure and so maybe i'm focusing on on more kind of uh, activism led works rather than uh uh you know long <laughs> slow burn projects that that take you know uh, four or five years years to achieve right well, we certainly look forward to seeing what the future brings, and we thank you for using your art to bring attention to these important issues and helping more people realize 
that, you know, we need to take care of uh, not just what's above ground, but what's underwater. As you said, most of the planet is water and it certainly needs as much help as it can get. So we thank you for that. If people want to follow along with your work, they can find you on your website, underwatersculpture.com. You're also on Instagram as Jason DeCares Taylor and on Facebook as Jason DC Taylor. Is there anywhere else that people should look to follow along with what you're doing? Um, mostly in the water. <laughs> so <laughs> to visit any of the sites, you know, there's quite a few uh, locations in, in different continents now. And, you know, I'd urge people to 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 get underneath the, the surface of the sea and, and, and see what's out there. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending time to chat with us today, Jason. It's been a pleasure and we hope that we'll get to speak with you again soon. Yes, no, thank you very much for inviting me along. Thank you once again for tuning into the My Modern Met Top Artist podcast. I hope you enjoyed our illuminating conversation with Jason DeCares Taylor. Remember, you can find the links to follow his work in the description and see some of the pieces we talked about today on Instagram at Top Artist Podcast. I'll see you again in two weeks for another chat with one of today's top creatives. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe. And we'd really appreciate it if you could also take the time to leave a review and let people know how you feel about the podcast. In the meantime, don't forget to keep up on art and culture by reading mymodernmet.com. See you next time.